Let's turn to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. If this is your first time uh, worshiping with us, we are working through our, our way through the book of Numbers. And we have come to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that when we um, gather around your word, uh, if we, for Christians, if we have your spirit within us, then we are confident, God, that when we look into your word, that you will, um, you'll teach us, you'll grow us, you'll strengthen us. Um, we, we're confident that when we look into your word, we will find Jesus Christ, our sure and steady anchor there, and, and we will be comforted in his, in his mercy, in His truth, in His grace, in His gospel. And so we pray that, that you would do that this morning, that you would um, give us courage, give us determination, give us comfort. I pray, God, that you would sanctify us um, through our time together. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Numbers chapter 20, we're looking, as we look at this um, chapter, we're going to see a few different things. I've sort of divided the sermon up uh, into three parts. First, we're going to look at consequences, then we're going to look at mercy, and then finally, we're going we're to see three ways that, that we must deal with our sin. We're going to see consequences, then we're going to see mercy, and then we're going to see three ways we must deal with our sin. So the first thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to read through this chapter, and as we do, we're going to see, we're going to see consequences. We're, we're going to see that when God's people sin, there are, there are real consequences, sometimes heartbreaking, devastating consequences um, in our lives. So as we read through this chapter, we're going to first see consequences. Starting verse 1 of Numbers chapter 20, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Miriam died and was buried in Kadesh. Um, So there's a little bit of a, a dispute among people who are um, a lot more, a lot smarter than I am um, uh, as to what year in the wilderness this actually was. Some people think it was early in the wilderness wanderings. Most people, um, myself included, for whatever that's worth, believe this is the beginning of the 40th year of their wilderness wanderings. I think this is the first month of the 40th year in the wilderness, and here is Miriam and she dies. This is Moses' sister. This is a woman who um, she was a she served as a prophetess. She she in the in the book of Exodus we saw her leading um, all of the women and singing praises to God. We, we, she uh, she's one of the leaders of the people of Israel with Moses and Aaron. Um, she was used by God in different ways, um, but she doesn't make it to the promised land. She doesn't make it in. 
She's part of this generation that dies in the wilderness. They die in the wilderness because of sin, including her own sin. She doesn't make it into the promised land. She was there to rejoice. She rejoiced with the people of God when they, when they were brought out of Egypt. And, and she served the people of God for years. And she actually was um, the one that watched over Moses when he was just very young. She's an amazing part of the Old Testament story. And because of sin, she doesn't get to go into the promised land. Sin has real heartbreaking consequences. The story gets sadder. It gets sadder as we go and we go to verse 2. We're going to see more consequences to sin. Verse 2, now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished. This is the same thing they've been saying for, for years now, right? Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord said to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Verse 10, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, so here is where Moses just does not do what God wants him to do. What God has told him to do. Moses does his own thing here. He says, Hear now, you rebels, in verse 10, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and, and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. So he, he lifts up his hand, which is most likely a sign of frustration and anger towards God, and then he strikes the rock, which again is just Moses losing his temper and lashing out in anger, and he, he calls them rebels. He, he doesn't do what God wants him to do. God didn't want him to stand up there and call them rebels and berate them. God didn't want Moses to stand up there and say, we're going to bring water out of this rock for you. Moses does his own thing. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in Me to uphold Me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Moses, in a moment of, of anger and frustration, he disobeys God. He doesn't do what God wants him to do. He won't obey God. He takes matters into his own hands. He wasn't told to strike the rock. He was told to speak to it. And most 
scholars think that when he struck at the rock there, that was seen as, as lashing out in anger, not only at the people, but at God Himself. And so God is now not going to allow Moses to take the people into the land. Moses had served faithfully for years and years and years. He had put up with all kinds of garbage in the hot, stinking wilderness for years and years and years. And now he has this moment where he loses control and he loses his temper. But Scripture is clear. To whom much is given, much is required. And Moses had, um, he had all kinds of authority and all kinds of status within the people of Israel. And, and he, was, he was commanded by God to make sure that he was the one. He was the one who upheld the holiness and the glory and the grace of God. He was given a lot of leadership and he was also given a lot of responsibility. He doesn't do what God wants him to do. And so there are going to be harsh consequences. Moses himself is not going to be able to enter the promised land. Continuing on. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. So, so Moses, wants to, Moses wants to bring the people through the land of Edom. Alright? Uh, and, and Edom, they are the descendants of Esau. If you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob mistreated um, Esau, um, stole from him. Esau and, 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 and Jacob clashed. This is, this is over 400 years earlier. And Jacob, who is the forefather of Israel, mistreated Esau, who is the forefather of Edom. And um, Edom, we'll see, hasn't quite forgiven them. Moses, verse 14, sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, He heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory, Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard. We will not drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or the left hand until we have passed through your territory. We just want to go through. We're not going to mess with anything. We're not going to take any, anything. We're not going to, we're not going to mess with anyone. We're, we're going to mind our own business. We're going to go straight through. Just let us go through on your highway. Verse 18, But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I come out with a sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, we will go up by the highway. And if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot. Nothing more. Verse 20, but he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Again, what we have here is we just have, this is the consequences of sin. On one hand, this is the consequence. I mean, these, the people of Israel shouldn't even be in this position. They shouldn't have to be asking someone to let them through. They should have been in the promised land years and years and years ago. They, they got all the way to the cusp of the promised land 
And then because they refused to go in, and they could have just walked in, because they refused to do that, because they refused to obey God and to trust in His promises and His power, because they refused, now they're in this kind of situation. where they got to ask a favor from a cousin who doesn't really like them. And then we also see here not only the fruit of the people's sins, but the fruit of, of Jacob's sin against his brother hundreds of years earlier. Esau may have forgiven him, but Esau's sons and grandsons and great-sons, great-grandsons, they don't forgive and forget. They hated Israel. And they're going to hate Israel for generations to come. Sin messes stuff up. Sin ruins things. And then our last few verses, starting in verse 22. And maybe you're thinking, oh, this is where the happy stuff's going to happen. Nope, nope, nope. This is not one of those chapters. And they journeyed from Kadesh, and the people of Israel, and the whole congregation came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and he gathered to his people and, and be gathered, or I'm sorry, and they went up Mount Hor to the site of all the congregation, and Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, and, and which is, which is a way of saying, um, that there's a little bit of disgrace here. That, that Aaron's, um, his priestly office is being taken away from him. And, and Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. And when, they, when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for, for Aaron 30 days. Again, just like Miriam, this didn't have to happen. Just like Miriam, this didn't have to happen. Aaron could have entered the promised land, but he sinned. He lost his chance. What we have to understand is that this doesn't... This, this, this doesn't mean that they're kicked out of the family of God, but what we have to understand for our life here, right now, you and me, the sins that we commit, they have real, devastating, long-lasting consequences in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Our sin brings consequences. We have to understand that. This is because this is because God is holy. Because in, and in God's world, there's no way that He's going to have some sort of operating system that allows sin to just kind of, just kind of go and go and go and go and not, not bring forth devastating consequences. Because sin is fundamentally anti-God, it is going to bring all kinds of horrible consequences. This is the only thing that makes sense. And it is God's kindness to us. But the consequences of our sin are, are real. So we have to see that. That's the first thing we see as we look through this chapter. We see consequences. 
Second thing we have to see is mercy. There's a ton of mercy here. And and you probably didn't catch it the first time. This was probably pretty depressing. The first time we read through this, you know, people died. People couldn't go through the land. Moses has this moment and now he's not allowed to go into the land. It feels depressing. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of kindness and mercy and grace here, but there is. For the, for the, for the first thing we have to understand is that, is that this passage is about the death of believers. It's about the death of believers. A few chapters ago, a few chapters ago, God, God um, put down the rebellion of Korah. And, and really, He kicked those people out of His family forever. God, when we read through Hebrews, we realize that what happened there in the story of Korah is that those people were, were, were driven out of the family of God. They were kicked out of the people of God. They're not going to be with God forever. They're going to be in punishment forever. That's not what we have here. When Miriam dies and when Aaron dies and in, and in a while when Moses is going to die, these are the deaths of believers. These people aren't being cut off from the, from the people of God. We see that very clearly. Well, we see it clearly from the, from the whole of Scripture. The way all of Scripture talks about um, Aaron and Miriam and Moses. But we see it here just very, um, very quickly when it says, let Aaron be gathered to his people. That's Old Testament language for let Aaron now go to the people of God. Aaron is now going to go and he's going to, he's going to die and he's going to now rest with the people of God, the people who have believed the promises of God um, throughout the, the generations. Aaron is now going to be numbered among them. And one day, Aaron will, just like all of those who believe the promises of God, Aaron will have a glorified body. And Aaron will one day be in his new body with the people of God forever. The overall tone of Scripture is so kind to Aaron and to Miriam and to Moses. The way Scripture remembers these three, the overall story is that these people belonged to God. They had some really bad moments and they did some really stupid things but they belonged to God. They trusted in His goodness. They, they tried to live according to His Word. They believed His promises. They found forgiveness and mercy in God. We see that quickly. Sort of a hint of it in this chapter. We also see a hint of God's mercy in the reference to Edom. Again, you have to read this story in light of all of Scripture but if you read like all the way through to the book of Amos, you'll see that God has been tracking the way Edom mistreated Israel. Because this, is this is not the only time this is going to happen. Edom is going to try to flex their muscles against Israel multiple times in the Old Testament. They're going to, they're going to go to war and abuse um, and mistreat and attack Israel multiple times. And what God is reminding us and what He says very explicitly in the book of Amos is I've, I've seen the way that they have done this. So we have to read this little chapter in light of the story of Scripture. This is what we see like in verse 12 where, where God is letting Moses have it. And he says, Moses, you are not going to take this people. But what does he say? He says, I'm, I'm not, you're not going to take this people into the land that I have given them. 
This is God's mercy again, because even though He is bringing consequences on Moses, He has not dropped His agenda. He is going to give His land to the, to the people. He's going to give the promised land to the people. This is why he, when, in, 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 when Aaron dies, he takes the priestly garments and he doesn't just toss them in a fire and says, I'm done with you people. No more priesthood. No, he gives them to Eleazar. And now it's Eleazar's turn to, to serve the people of God faithfully as the priest. Because God's not done with His people. We see this when Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock in verse 11. And and he struck it with his staff twice and water came out abundantly. The people should not have complained. Moses should not have struck the rock. But God was merciful. He gave them water anyhow. This is a story about mercy. Alright, so what I want you to see here, and, 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 um, and maybe you've zoned out because it's easy to zone out. Um, not when I'm talking so much, but I know it's easy to zone out. Um, they say doctors make the worst patients. Um, I have a theory that pastors probably make the worst like sermon listeners. Um, I know I'm bad. I know, like, I'm, I, I'm sitting there and I'm listening and I'm trying to focus and then suddenly I'm thinking about something not even related. Like, I, I couldn't even justify what I was thinking about. There's just no way it's even related to anything that's going on. So I know perhaps you've been distracted and you've gone away. I just want you to know I forgive you, but you need to come back now. Because I'm almost done. We have, we have three things we have to consider this morning. This is one of those passages that we could have had 12 or 15 points of application. We're going to have three points of application. Because here's the thing. If you belong to God and you sin, you're not going to hell. You belong to God. This is a story of mercy. Do you understand that if you belong to God, you're living in a story of mercy. A story where He is going to gather you to His people. You understand, this is a story of mercy. But what we also have to get is this is a story of consequences. If I sin, there are real consequences for me and for my loved ones and for my church. I guess I should call that my loved ones. I don't know how that makes you feel. But anyhow, there's real consequences to our sin. doesn't mean God's not a God of mercy. doesn't mean I'm going to go to hell if I goof up. But it means that I will bring real devastating consequences because God is holy. And He's not going to allow sin to just go on and on and on. It's not the way it works. It didn't work that way for Moses and Aaron and Miriam and it's not going to work that way for us. So what we have to understand is is we, we have to understand that it's time for us to fight against sin. It's time for us to deal with sin like right now and then tomorrow when we're tempted again and the next day when we're tempted again. It's time for us to deal with sin as the people of God. Alright, so there's three ways that struck out to, stuck out to me from this passage. Um, three ways we must deal with sin. The first thing we have to do is we must, number one, we must remember that God alone is our judge and deliverer. We must remember who we are. 
This is so easy for us to get this wrong. We must remember that God alone is our judge and deliverer. Moses, here's what Moses does in, in verse 10. He says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. That's not reflecting what God's word said to him. God's word, the word of God that came to Moses, he, God didn't say, okay, line them up and yell at them. He didn't. God could have said that, but he doesn't do it here. God, God responds with, with patience and mercy and, and kindness here. He says, Moses, just get him some water. But, but, but Moses takes matters into his own hands. He becomes the judge. He says, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And so now, not only is Moses the judge deciding what's right and what's wrong, but Moses is the deliverer. He's the one who's going who's to get his people out of this jam. Moses was there to magnify the glory and the power of God, but he doesn't do that. Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Moses is reinterpreting God's Word. Moses deciding he's going to be the judge and he's going to be the deliverer. I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to look the same, but we are tempted towards that all the time. We know what God's Word says, but, but these moments come. We say, I don't care. I'm, I'm angry. I'm going to judge what's right and what's wrong. I don't care. I'm hurt. I'm going to be the judge of what's right and what's wrong. I'm lonely. I'm worried. I'm frustrated. I'm not going to look to God and His Word to be the judge of what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to look to my own feelings and to my own situation, to my own instincts and to my own way of thinking to decide what's right and what's wrong. And I'm not going to look to God to deliver me. I'm not going to look to God to provide a way of escape from this temptation. I'm not going to look to strength from the Gospel, strength from the Spirit of God, strength that only the Spirit gives. I'm not going to pray for help. I'm not going to submit to what I know the Word of God says about gossip or forgiveness or lust or greed or laziness. I'm not going to look to God to help me. I'm going to be the judge and I'm going to be my own deliverer. I'm going to decide what's right and what's wrong and I'm going to, and I'm going to get it done. This is so, tempt, so tempting for us. And we will fall into sin when we think that way. That's number one. And then, number two, we must resist the urge to make excuses. We must resist the urge to make excuses. Sometimes it seems like I have like this, just this, protective shield around me all the time. And when, when the truth comes at me, the truth of my own foolish sin, when the truth comes at me and just staring me in the, in the face saying, Steve, you lost your temper. Steve, you lied. Steve, you lusted. You were greedy. You were lazy. You were impatient. You were unkind. Steve, you sinned. It's like I have a shield. The shield that just automatically creates these wonderful excuses. I just deflect. I deflect. I deflect. I deflect. 
If there's anybody who had, who had what we would call legitimate excuses, it was Moses. Moses, in this chapter, we, we kind of feel for him, don't we? He's grieving the loss of his sister. I mean, there's tons of emotions there. There's a ton of emotions with her death. I mean, he had, he, there, there were times where he was just incredibly thankful for her, and she was this huge blessing, and then there were other times where she was like calling for his job. And so they, I mean, it was like any brother and sister. They had their ups and downs, right? And now she's gone. And she's gone, and she doesn't get to go to the promised land because of these stupid people. And here's these stupid people again, coming to me with the same complaints. I've listened to 39 years of these complaints. And I think this desert is hotter than it was 35. I think Moses is like, global warming is a thing. This is awful. You people smell bad. Your, your complaints are stupid. I'm done with this. And the other thing, this is the, this is the one that really convicted me this week. This is the one that, that scared me a little bit. Moses had lived a really good life up until then. Moses had done really well. I mean, pre-Exodus, he had some moments that he wasn't proud of. But since Exodus, most he was batting like, you know, he was doing pretty well. And, and he took a day off, really, is what he did. He said, forget it. My sister died. These people are morons. God says to give them water instead of yell at them. I think God meant yell at them. Because that's what I'm feeling, so that's what I'm going to do. So he yells at them, and then he hits the rock. And then God says, there are going to be real consequences for that. So if you've, if you've been faithful to your wife for decades, it doesn't give you the license to go some other path just for a few days. I know, I know pastors that feel like they've earned the right to, to do what they wanted to do with the women of the church or the money of the church. I've, I've personally known pastors who I could tell they were justifying the garbage they were doing with the years of faithful service. As I've been faithful for years and years and years and years, I deserve to kind of make up my own rules here at the end and do whatever I want to do. God says, no. 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 God says, Moses, yes, yes, your, your sister has died. And, and yes, these people are doing the same stupid stuff. And, and yes, you have been really good for decades. But that doesn't excuse sin. What we have to understand is that, is that God... What we have to get from this passage is it, God knows that you're hurting. He knows that you're grieving loss. He knows you've got a big bundle of emotions you don't know what to do with. He, he knows that you're facing the same trial that you've been facing for years. He knows. He knows that you have, you have years of trying to do your best. He knows all of that stuff. None of that, none of that excuses sin. God is saying to us in this passage, don't sin. Don't do it. 
Don't lash out in anger. Don't indulge your lust. Don't lie to make yourself look better. Don't be selfish and greedy. Don't do it. I know you've been sinned against. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. I know that you're grieving the loss of loved ones. I know that you've been stuck in a difficult trial for years. Don't sin. Don't make excuses. There will be consequences to your sin. This is God's perfect work in this world. You're not going to lose your salvation. God is merciful. But but in this life, you will face consequences for your sin. God doesn't do excuses. Those are the first two things. And then number three, number three, we have to return to the rock. We must return to the rock. Return to the rock. Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians that the rock in the wilderness was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the rock in the book of Numbers. So say that rock was Christ. Paul says this is who we look to. This is who we look to as we're, as we're wandering our way through this, this wilderness. This is who we look to when we're facing the same trials, the same complaints, the same frustrations that we've been facing for years. Well, this is who we look to when we are grieving the loss of people that we care about. This is who we look to when we're saying, you know what, I've been faithful for, for 29 years. I don't think I can do it again. I don't think I can keep going. I don't think I can do it. We, we return to the rock. We speak to the rock. We turn to Jesus. We speak to Jesus. We cast our cares upon Him. He cares for us. He is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are you angry? Turn to Jesus. Are you you lonely? Turn to Jesus. Are you sad or frustrated? Turn to Jesus. Are you, are you tempted in a way that you just, I don't, I don't think I can escape. I don't think, I don't think I can not commit this sin. I don't think I can do it. Turn to Jesus. Through His Word, through the truth of His Gospel, there is real comfort and there is real forgiveness through His Spirit. There is, there is real strength when we are tempted. There is real forgiveness when we have failed. There is real wisdom when we are perplexed. There is real encouragement when we are alone. Speak to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He is the One who has lived a full life here on earth. He faced temptation in the wilderness just like Moses did. Just like you and I. He is the One who knows every kind of temptation that we could face. He knows every loneliness that we could face. He knows every reason for anger or for discouragement or for despair that we could face. He knows, but He never sinned. He never sinned. So He can do something better than just empathize. He can save us. Because on our behalf, He died in our place, condemned for our sin. He died so that we would be forgiven of all the times that we 
stupidly thought we should be the judge, we should be the deliverer, that we know best, and we have a, we have a pile of excuses. And as soon as we're accused of some wrongdoing, those excuses just fill the air. We deserve God's punishment in hell for that. But Jesus died for us. And today, He lives. He, he is there to give strength and wisdom and mercy. Turn to Jesus. If you've never believed the Gospel, if you've never seen Jesus this way, that, that He is your only hope to be forgiven for the sins that you have committed, Believe the Gospel. Trust in Him right now and what He did on the cross. Turn away from your sin and from your, from your excuse-making and your foolish rebellion and turn to Jesus. And then, return to Jesus over and over for the rest of your life. I'm not saying get saved over and over and over, but I'm saying remember that you're saved over and over and over. Remember the truth of the Gospel over and over and over, turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, You are my only hope here. You are the only friend who sticks closer than a brother. You're the only one who can empathize and give actual strength. You're the only one who can give actual forgiveness, actual mercy. Your Gospel, Your Word is the only place I'll find real encouragement and real wisdom. There is water every single time you turn to Jesus. There is living water every single time. And one day, just like Aaron, he will gather us to his people and we will be with him forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, you don't mess around with us. You didn't mess around with Moses. You don't, you're not messing around with us. We thank You, God, that You are, are graciously clear with us that there is, if we're going to go and do our own thing, there's going to be real consequences. We thank You, God, that you, are, that, you don't, that You don't hide that from us, that You make that clear to us for our own good and for Your glory. So we pray, God, that You would help us to believe it, help us to fight hard against sin, Fight hard against making excuses. And that when we are tempted, and we are frustrated, we feel the anger coming on, that we will turn to Jesus. That we will remember His perfect life. That He came to earth to live out of love for us. And His perfect death, that He came to earth to die out of love for us. And His glorious resurrection. Which means He is there right now giving us strength through His Spirit. Defending us. Keeping us. Pray God that You would help us to think clearly. We thank You for Your mercy to us. Help us to fight hard against sin. In Jesus' name, Amen.